Welcome to another episode of Consensus Unreality. Before we get to this next great interview, we want to invite you to join us over on patreon.com slash consensus unreality, where we've got all kinds of bonus episodes. That's where we get the bulk of our sort of off the cuff and research episodes out to you. And we have a new merch store. We also host our full archive over there of all of our past episodes, um, regularly releasing exclusive episodes, written content. Uh, we also host a private Discord server, so check all that out at patreon.com slash consensusunreality for just five bucks a month. The price of a cup of coffee these days, Ben. Um, yeah, <laughs> we've... I, that's a, not a, you know, it's a price of a... Of a decent cup of coffee. Okay. There you go, folks. And uh, we also just <laughs> dropped our merch store as well. Um, got some great items on there. Uh, shirts, hats, coffee mugs. Um, so check that out. We're really excited about it. Consensus-unreality.printify.me. Thanks for listening, as always, and enjoy the interview. Welcome to another episode of Consensus Unreality. Uh, we're joined today by Shannon Taggart, the artist behind the book Seance, which is a really beautiful book of photography of the current sort of culture behind spiritualism and um, communication with the other world. Uh, there's some really striking stuff in here, and we're very happy to have her on. So thanks for joining us, Shannon. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're both super excited. Um, it's really it's really awesome because I feel like your work um, is, is quite close to us. Um, been interested in media my entire life and the kind of like spectral artifacts that, that you can capture with different forms of media. Um, but I also feel like what you're doing is kind of like a stewardship of the the history of spiritualism with your work. Um, do you kind of feel that way as well? Yeah, definitely. I, in fact, you know, I never intended to become. I'm sort of like a outsider anthropologist, self taught, <laughs> um, and a connoisseur of all things paranormal. And then I sort of became a writer because the project required that because a lot of it deals with this lost history. Like a lot of this stuff has been written out of history books and wasn't, wasn't recently or wasn't looked at, relooked at until recently. And, you know, I was in college, I was studying photography in the nineties and that's when all it, none of none, nothing about spiritualism and media and that kind of image history was in anything hmm. that, uh, you know, I studied from uh, the first book I found was this book called Beyond Light and Shadow by Rolf Krauss. Mm. And it was a German book. I think it was published in 93 originally in German and then translated into English in like 96 or 97, somewhere around there. And I think I graduated college in like 98. Mm. So, um, you know, it was, it was like really new. It had been like, you know, it was like embarrassing history, you know, it was like, mm. 
what do you call it? Rejected knowledge, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask what, like in your studies of all this, what did, what is like the relationship between the technology of photography and spiritualism? Because they seem to come about sort of in a similar era. Yeah. They, like, I think, um, 1837 I always screwed up 1837 or 1838 for photography and spiritualism is I think it's 1837 and then spiritualism is 1848 mm -hmm. and then you know and I studied photography in Rochester New York and I made the realization during the project that you know Kodak where Kodak is in Rochester that's where photography was kind of like popularized and brought to the masses not till the 1880s, but still it was the, the Kodak Tower is on the exact same street where the first public seances wow. in wow. um in America happened, like the Fox sisters. And I think that yeah. was like 1849. So it's just like the, there's all these connections. And I think photography, you know, in and of itself is a form of spirit photography, right? Because like you're trapping time and um every photograph is eventually going to be, I mean, the minute you take it, it's a spirit photograph technically. Right. But like, yeah. um, you know, any picture of a person is eventually going to be, a, you know, some, some record of their passing, you know? So mm. um, I tried to get to unpack a lot of that metaphysical stuff. And, you know, I worked as a professional photographer and photo a lot of photographers don't like to think about that aspect. And, I don't think we think about the photography in the same way now that everybody has them in the phones and all that, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Like the, that old, like superstition about it, like taking part of your soul or something. Um, if, if that's true, there's not a lot of souls left <laughs> right now. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, relationship <laughs> is insane. I did not know that about Kodak, but yeah, the proximity is really crazy because it seems like um, within spiritualism a lot of it is about the documentation right and kind of that there seems to be um the technology is like embedded in in the practice almost right yeah definitely like i um <clears throat> a lot of people would say you know it's inappropriate to photograph ritual for example like if there was a magic ritual or something it would be kind of weird but spiritualists have always like welcomed cameras and technology. Mm -hmm. Like it was part of everything was the, the whole seance was conducted in the spirit of a scientific experiment kind of meaning like it wasn't hidden. It was public or at least like nothing they were doing was being hidden, you know, where you get into esoteric practice that all that, a lot of that stuff is secret. There's secret initiations. You can't know what went on. Um, so spiritualism just in this is in the spirit of uh, scientific discovery and they were everything that's done is even if you make a photograph, it's kind of meant to serve as proof as well as an image or, you know, um, even, you know, when art, when mediums do spirit art, it's not just supposed to be art, it's supposed to be proof like mm testimony of the spirit world or like some sort mm. of like media that proves and they were really trying to merge science and religion and like photography is a weird thing because it kind of merges science and art you mm. know there's a lot of uh 
I don't know. There's a lot of crisscrossing going on. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, it's an interesting point because it reminds me of uh, like with the OTO and stuff, the publication of the rituals was such a big, yeah. big stink when it happened. Um, but I, I know in your book, you say spiritualism is a rebellion against death. So it seems like there, as much of it has to be put out there as possible to get everybody on board with that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, they And almost everything in spiritualism, like a lot of people conflate it with occult practice or paganism. And, um, you know, technically, I, I don't think you I think there is a solid argument that it is that. But spiritualists argue against that. They see themselves mm. as uh, rationalists like this is natural law, like um you know, and they're not trying to do a magic working to like enact their will on the world. Like everything that they do is just to prove that um, we live on, like make the connection and prove that it exists to like free us from this idea of death, like free us from um, believing that we die. And they're very much um, tied to the idea that the personality lives on after death. Um Although they're technically they're not supposed to spiritualists are not supposed to believe in reincarnation. That's that's the difference mm -hmm. between spiritism and spiritualism. Mm -hmm. Like so spiritism is kind of spiritualism goes to France and Alan Kardec writes a text. And one of his arguments is that, you know, reincarnation is a reality. And so my spiritualist friends always say like, oh, well, with reincarnation, we're kind of like the Catholics uh we you know you're not supposed to do it you're not supposed to believe but the catholics with birth control you know like catholics oh. aren't supposed to go on birth control but they they do spirituals aren't supposed to believe in reincarnation but a lot of them do hmm. you know it just depends on the spiritualist huh. yeah i feel like that's kind of what makes your work so important too is we, we talked a little bit about th that history and i feel like it's so important to the western world and our development um in our spirituality especially as americans too i mean it's not uh specifically an american tradition right but it it kind no, of it like, is oh it, it is okay yeah it was um i like to say like okay so the word seance it's a french word right and it, you know it means like circle and we have this idea of these victorian england seances but the seance is an american invention mm. Like it's, it's full on American new religion. Uh, so yeah, upstate New York, it, it started in upstate New York and that's actually where I'm from. Mm. So, uh, but I didn't, that history is not really talked about. I mean, I grew up there and we never learned about this and it wasn't just spiritualism. It was the Mormonism started like within this 20 mile radius, radius Mormonism, um, the Shakers had a presence there. I mean, they didn't start there, but they ended up with a huge community there. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventists who became Jehovah's Witness and then the Oneida. And there's there was like 30 different kind of religious movements and sects. Hmm. Sects and um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that the what they call the burned over district? yeah. Yeah. yeah you guys are in pennsylvania right mm -hmm. yeah okay what part like it... well i'm in like the lehigh valley so eastern and 
Dave's in Philly, so yeah. both Eastern oh, Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. Yeah, Lilydale, where I did my pictures, it's not far from Erie. Like mm -hmm. it's like an hour. Right. Hour from Erie. Yeah, I've been meaning to get up there to just, you know, have a look for a little while now. <laughs> Is it uh that's where this project kind of started, right? Yeah, that's where it started in Lilydale. Because I well, I grew up in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And so Lilydale's like about an hour away. But every every summer I host a symposium there. Um, awesome. So I try yeah. to get people like you who like always needed a reason to get out there to yeah. get up there. Yeah, yeah. that sounds incredible. Um, it look I, I was checking it out on the map yesterday. It looks like an incredible region. I love uh, going out to the Midwest and stuff like Ohio and and seeing all the native mounds and stuff. And it's yeah. north of there but yeah out by cleveland it's pretty close to cleveland right yeah it's like i think it's i don't know how many hours it is from cleveland i think maybe two hours from cleveland um yeah so yeah probably about two okay okay do you want do you want to talk about the history of lilydale a little bit uh yeah well um so it's interesting because Lilydale before the, so the spiritualism started with this these fox sisters these young girls who said they were in contact with the spirit of a murdered man buried beneath their home and you know the house that they were in it wasn't just them who were it, it was a haunted house I mean it was a purportedly haunted house like the previous two or three families had also experienced ha hunting and so on March 31st, 1848, for whatever reason, they were, they decided they were, the story goes, although some, some historians um, have unearthed new evidence that actually the adults were doing the knocking mm. first, but the legend goes that the girls, the young girls started the knocking with like doing letter code and yes and no. And, um, like it drew like a crowd of like a few hundred people and it became like this big event. And then spiritualism just like exploded as a movement and rot like Rochester, New York was like a hotbed for like, uh, you know, abolitionists and like free thinkers and progressives and uh, the women's rights movement too was happening. So spiritualism just kind of, like grew into this progressive movement. And then um, women started using it as a way to like, it was, it wasn't technically illegal for women to speak in public, but it was dangerous. Women were not supposed to speak in public. And so if they spoke in trance, hmm. they were, it was more acceptable somehow. So they kind of like used the spirit world to like flip the script. And then the, they started all these like trance speakers and, um, Lilydale was, it had started as a community, like before there was mesmeric healers, you know, like people who were practicing, practicing mesmerism in the 1840s and they, and they were there. And then the spiritualists and the mesmerists started like meeting up there and it turned into a camp and it was kind of became like the who's who of this progressive movement. Like Susan B. Anthony used to hang out there and like, you know, a lot of, um, high level suffragettes or free thinkers and it, it was kind of like started like a cottage town like with tents and stuff and then 
gradually somebody donated the land and they started building these Victorian cottages. And like now, if you go to Lilydale, it really is a lot of those cottages that, that were first built are like what people stay in and not, not every, not a lot of people live there full year round. It's more like a summer thing, but it really is like being in a time warp hmm. because it's like, you couldn't build that town now because of code and, and stuff, you know, like, so it's really, it re there really is something like a really big feeling of time travel when you go mm, amazing yeah yeah oh yeah that's really interesting i i guess this kind of brings up a an aspect i wanted to ask you about um we talk at least on this show uh, a lot about like how hoaxing kind of like uh braids itself around like true experiences um yes. and like the way they kind of feed back into each other what kind of like was your uh experience of that in your research or in your own sort of documentation like did that kind of play a role yes for sure and that i mean to me that issue is like the issue right like yeah. it's it's the thing that stops people dead in their tracks with this stuff and it's also like you know i couldn't get on board like i started approaching the project in 2001 in like a very innocent way where it's like, is this real or is this not, you know? And then, <laughs> and then I got so wrapped up in like, Oh my God, this cultural history, like this is crazy, mm -hmm. you know, cause wherever you find 19th century innovation, you also find spiritualism. And like, you know, mm -hmm. today it's kind of branded as like, Oh, it's like, it's intellectually suspect or um, kind of like woo woo, you know, I mean, like you know, people who are non-discerning are, those are the only people interested and that's not the case. Like they're the biggest brainiacs in the world were like totally into this stuff. Hmm. And so the fraud thing though, like, so I was kind of approaching it like, is it true or is it false? And then, um, you know, especially with all the, like the, the dark room seance stuff and those pictures, like pictures of Victorian seances and ectoplasm, which is, you know, the substance that emerges from the, the medium's body and it looks like gauze or cheesecloth or whatever. Um, those pictures that, you know, they're so silly, but they're so absurd, but they're so powerful. Yeah. And I just had to like decode them. And then I, you know, in order to really study spiritualism, you have to learn about stage magic and you have to read about parapsychology and like, I kind of got to a point I worked on it. I worked on the project for like four or five years. And then I was just like, I can't do a project about this. How can you like, this is too much to decode. And like, I, I'll never, you know, how do you photograph invisible things? Like, how do you talk about, like, how do you accept that some things can be faked and some things like, but there's still a reality. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get there. And so I just stopped but I read a lot like so for like like three or four or five years, I just read, you know, because I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then, you know, I came to the fraud issue kind of in a sense of, OK, so there's a lot of different avenues, like people looking at fraud in different ways. But I also I, I came to the realization that our culture has a different idea of true and false than like ancient cultures. Hmm. And that something ancient was going on. Um, it was like a reemergence of something 
ancient hmm. and that fraud played a more complicated part than, oh, it's just this medium just is a fraud and everybody else is real. Like that's not, it's kind of like um, that uh, Phil Ford on weird studies, he described fraud once as like, the bacillum that you need, like the mold to make cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and great. I loved that yeah. analogy. I thought it was so brilliant. Uh, like, because it's, it's almost like it's the stinky stuff you don't want to think about, but like somehow um, is embedded and is necessary. Um, so I, you know what I mean? Like, so there's a lot of different theories about what, what role fraud or or hoaxing does play um some some have framed it like there's a british parapsychologist he's he's deceased now but his name is kenneth batchelor and he had this idea that you know if you if you fake something like if you're in a group setting and somebody fakes um it's it might it may be to like like an artifact induction, like, yeah. Um, it relieves anybody of the pressure of thinking that they're actually the cause. And then it relaxes the situation and allows the real thing to like come kind of like priming a pump or something. Hmm. Yeah. And like, he had one technique where like sitters, like somebody would get a card and you, if you got the card, you would have to like fake, like throw the table up when nobody was looking um, but nobody knew who had the card. And so like that, just that small, like little dose of fraud could invoke like a whole, like genuine, sincere experience. Hmm. That's so interesting. That's kind of like uh, an invocation or something. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Yes. And like, this is my thing. Cause I don't want to conflate everything with, with, I'm, I try to be careful about like, like saying, oh, this is like that. But it, it you do see a lot with Psy things being renamed and reshaped mm. or even in parapsychology. I think they're doing straight up magic, but they're <laughs> not like, you know, they're not seeing it that way. Or, you know, I mean, Dean Radin, I don't know if you saw mm -hmm. that book, Real Magic, where he yeah. kind of he kind of like comes to that realization. Like, how is this similar? How is this different? Like, um, but you know, and then there's like a Carl Jung quote about fraud. And he says, I don't remember the exact quote, but it basically is like fraud may be the necessary end to a period of strong psychic phenomena in order to like restore consensus reality, because <laughs> consensus reality always is restored in the end or like mm, it, yeah. it, it, it forces itself like you can take you can take a situation out of consensus reality, but you can't keep it there, hmm. you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, with the Fox sisters too, right? Um, it started with a genuine experience of phenomena and then the concepts of hoaxing were accused afterwards, right? Like it's, it's supposed to have started as genuine. Um, yes, I mean, there were like you know, and I don't, they were doing so many seances and stuff, but they were producing very compelling phenomena. Mm. And then also the, 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 
the Catholics were really um, strongly against spiritualism. And there was a time in the country where it looked like spiritualism maybe become like overtake Christianity. It was like that popular. And um, so, and the girls became alcoholics and that's also a common thing in mediumship. I mean, I think it's a hazard for creatives in general, right? Like, mm -hmm. but um they be, they became alcoholics and then supposedly uh a catholic priest pray, paid them to like confess how they did everything and they got on stage and said they were using their toe knuckles to make the knocks and um and then they recanted and then on on the deathbed of one of them, like there was a parasite, somebody witnessed they they heard knocks all through the room, wow. like as she was dying. You know that that's like every spiritualist story is like, oh, but wait, oh, but oh, but wait, like no, but yes, but no. And though I interviewed one of this this very controversial medium named Kai Mugi, he's like the head ectoplasm guy of the world right now. Um, but I, I interviewed him, like, what do you think? Because in spiritualism, they accept that there's a concept called mixed mediumship, where it's like you could be a real medium, but sometimes because of social pressure or financial pressure, you like fake it when the power isn't there. Mm -hmm. And and he said, yeah, like scientists fake data all the time. And like nobody has that big of a deal. Like nobody, mm -hmm. like why are mediums held to like such a higher uh, ethical standard than than people in other professions who often fudge mm. things, and I, I actually think it's a good point. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, I I think it's it's funny you mentioned Jung too because I have in my notes here a quote that really stuck out to me in your book was um, taking your imagination seriously. Um, yeah. and that reminded me of, uh, Jung's process of active imagination, um, which he used in some, in some things, but specifically the red book, um, as a means of like bridging the gap between the conscious ego and the unconscious mind. Um, was that something that you kind of thought about in your work too, or your documentation? Uh, yeah. And I mean, like the, the red book, I mean, what is that? Like, <laughs> is that me mediumship that's straight up magic? Like, I mean, I, you know, that it's wild. Um, so yeah, I think like when you take a mediumship class, like there's a lot of similarities between what a Jungian therapist might walk you through in an active imagination. Like I, there's a lot of correspondence and it's just like letting your imagination go and trusting what is coming in and not saying like, oh, that's just like taking it as like a really serious force to be listened to or to connect with or to like and you have to like really if you ever take like a mediumship class you have to really be willing to let go and take your imagination like listen to it and no matter what it says and so like I use one example in the book of like a woman I knew and she's was because I didn't know that you could teach mediumship I just thought like people were born as mediums and that was it you know I didn't know um, but even the best mediums take development classes where they like learn from each other and stuff. And, um, so this woman, uh, Susan Glazer, she was like, uh, the director of Lilydale for a long time. She was in a mediumship class and she said, you know, I saw this duck 
And I said, no, I'm not giving this duck. And the duck wouldn't leave in my mind. And the duck kept coming back. And she's like, no, I'm not giving this duck. And then her teacher was like, Susan, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? And she's like, no, no. And she's like, give her the duck. <laughs> and like, and then it turned out that this woman had had a pet duck when she was little and it was like super meaningful to her. And like, she grew up on like on a bowling alley and it was her only friend and like this whole saga. And she said, after that, I never questioned. Hmm. I just gave it. And now, you know, I, when I've sat with like really seasoned mediums and I, I'll watch like a, watch this one reading where the medium said, okay, there was this horse and, um, you, your, your mother has a brother and, um, the horse kicked her in the, the chest and all like, I'm seeing this and that. And the woman's like going, no, 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 you're crazy. And because the person was my friend, I knew she went home and found, called her mom and found out it was all true, but she never told the medium. So I went back the next week and I said, Gretchen, oh my God, the woman I brought for the reading, like she went home and there was a horse and it did kick her mom and her mom does have this brother. And, and she was like, oh, like, oh, that's great. But like, I don't need to know that because like, I I already knew that. Mm -hmm. Like, or, you know, like she wasn't hung up on it or like, cause I saw her too. When that woman was saying like, no, no, she just closed her eyes and like went, no, that's what I got for you. Like, Mm -hmm. That's but wow. but then you know some some readings you get a reading and it makes no sense and it never does you know sometimes i've had a reading once where you know this guy gave me this reading and i was like no and he was supposed to be this really good medium and i was like no 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 none of this is true and then like five years later all of it was true wow it's like yeah like, it's I, retro causal yeah it like, yes, yes, retrocausal. Like it was just like in the future, like he was seeing the future and the future that I was like not like expecting or in tune with. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Did you see that kind of, yeah, I wanted to ask you about like the precognitive aspect of like mediumship. Is that something that you kind of came across much? Um. You mean like seeing the future, like if they can... Yeah, like or that as like the target as opposed to communication with the dead. Yeah, well, I think it's all part because if you're seeing the past, you can feel the future. Like I think it's all related. So like spiritualism has always been about like yes, you're trying to read the past because you're trying to bring back the past in a way you're trying to bring back dead people, but with that somehow comes the future as well. Mm. Like it's it's somehow connected. So it's not supposed to be like fortune telling in a way, but like all mediums do, 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 do precog. Like mm. it's just part of the, um, part of what they get. I don't know. Right. Like every, everything that's not now, I guess maybe. Right. Like what, well, and they always say like you, um, spiritualists or depending on the spiritualists, a lot of them, uh, dismiss psychic, pure psychic skills like they'll say oh well you can be psychic but if you're a medium you're psychic and a medium like you 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 Mm. can not all psychics are medium but all mediums are psychic Hmm. um so it's like and i've listened to people who are pretty seasoned talk about it with each other and it's like it seems to be like they describe the mechanism as like 
you raise your consciousness to a higher vibration than psychic or, you know, and I don't know, they, they talk about it like, oh yeah, well, this mechanism that I'm using, if it's not working, I can, I just envision like uh, dials on a television and I say, turn it up or make it sharper or like, let me see, like they, they, they learn to direct what they're getting or they learn ways to sharpen or discern. And a lot of them have their own like symbol system. Like I just saw the color green. So that means healing. And like everybody's hmm. could be different, almost like they have like a tarot card in their care, like deck in their head or something. Hmm. Yeah. It, yeah within spirit. Fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Uh, within spiritualism, is there like an acknowledgement of like an autonomous trickster presence ever or there's not any kind of experiences with that or um yeah so it depends on the spiritualist but like uh so kai mugi that uh medium that i mentioned earlier who was from germany like he's more um he's more he's a spiritualist medium but he's more open to ideas than some spiritualists and he's always saying uh you know spiritualism's only innovation is this belief that spirits need to prove themselves and like that's the only like everybody's always believed in spirits like in every culture throughout time and every era and every country but so he's like and he goes and the spiritualists believe the dead and only the dead inhabit the spirit world he's like hilarious you know because a lot of, you know, the other way to look at it is it's a daimonic realm, which means, you know, you have the fairies and you have like the aliens and you have like everything in there and human and non-human. And um, that whole history is known as trickster stuff, you know. Mm. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think like the trickster is the archetype of, of this and we can't... it can't understand I, you know that book the trickster and the paranormal uh mm -hmm. by george hansen that mm -hmm. was like a big 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 influence although like you know um yeah, a lot of people like want to get beyond the causal thing like um but i i think that book like it, it just made perfect sense to me when i read it when i found that book i like drank it like water hmm. like because it it made sense that like you know, you're kind. You, it's a, it's a, it's a force that we cannot understand, and it's hard to even like. It's hard for us to even compute it or how it works in the world, and mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's cool that you mentioned that because we've kind of been talking about George Hansen a bit because he did an interview recently where um, yeah, there was a moment where he was talking about the the hitchhiker effect of like bringing something home from a a paranormal experience um and it was really it was it was definitely the high point of the interview because it there was not, not a lot was said but there was this tension to it where I, I he's definitely on the verge of some new research in that realm or something that i look forward to hearing about um have you ever yeah. experienced anything like that or yeah um so I don't, I guess the answer would be, I don't know. I could have like, did, like uh, I was just watching that unbinding documentary mm -hmm. with, oh, the, sure. um, did you, did you guys watch it? I'm only halfway through. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
you know, when I photographed Voodoo for five years, like oh, wow. in Brooklyn, like, um, so yeah, George is uh, very interested in this, uh, the radiation or, you know, like the hitchhiker thing, like also too, like uh, UFOs, you know, like you'll hear these reports of like implants or like the, the radiative thing. And I was just yeah. talking to my, one of my best friends as a medium. And I was, I, this topic has been on my mind because of my new project. And I was saying, you know, a lot of people don't, okay, is it causal or not? I don't know. Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I like the hell if I know, mm, I mean, yeah. like, uh, George is very interested also too, in like the whole, um, autoimmune disorder with mediums or like people who've been exposed. And like my friend who's a medium was saying, you know, a lot of us have autoimmune or thyroid or weight issues or like, you know, endocrine stuff or like, you know, an autoimmune disorder, the an autoimmune disorder is basically a confusion between self and other. Your body is attacking mm -hmm. itself. Like that's literally what mediumship does. You're confusing self and other. Like you're doing that constantly with your brain. Like whose thoughts am I thinking? Like you're like, you're conflating your senses or, you know, like you're, you're messing with your senses in a way that like um, could lend itself to confusion. That sounds like an autoimmune disorder. Um I asked my friend, I have a friend who has really bad rheumatoid arthritis. And I said, do you think it's from mediumship? And she said, well, I, it's like a chicken or the egg type thing. I think it's easier for them to get in if I'm weakened, but then it also makes it worse. So, I mean, if you talk to practitioners, they'll very much say that they, they have health stuff from it. And a lot of healers are really unhealthy people. Like a lot, a lot of the physical mediums are like really overweight. Mm. They start craving sugar. Like I do think there's physical um, or can be um, a lot of those paranormal investigators talk about the hitchhiker thing, but like, this is too, where I get, it gets into ritual. Like, isn't that why you open and close a, a ritual? Like to mm. keep that stuff out. So yeah. <laughs> I don't, so it, it depends on the practitioner, but like, I think George was talking about like skinwalkers at the Pentagon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's like, um, that's all that, uh, skinwalker ranch stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know uh, the data. He keeps telling me about that book and, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I saw I, that that interview. I was noticing like people were getting uh, like annoyed that he wasn't answering all the questions. Or yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I thought the uh, that made it that much more interesting that he was not ready to disclose. But also being a pro, you know, like just yeah, maybe didn't want to jump jump into the deep end if if he didn't wasn't prepared or something. But yeah, that book's yeah. crazy. That whole story is 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 wild and. Obviously, the, the place that it inhabits, um, literally being in the Pentagon and stuff like that, you know, is, is insane, uh, has insane implications, too. Right. But this is where I, I wonder about, like, pattern recognition and stuff, because I know, like, a hundred other situations where there was nothing like that, you know? I don't yeah. know. I mean, mm -hmm. was the phenomena that strong? I don't know. I mean, I just saved an archive of about a seance group actually it was one of George Hansen's like first things he ever studied 
It's called Sorat. And um, mm. I ended up that that'd probably be my next book is like this, like I'm going to publish this archive of seance photography. So it's an archive. It's not my own photography, but I wrote a history of the group and a lot of weird stuff did happen. Do I know if that's, can I say why they did get messages of the spirits warning them about radioactive type powers. And they also got like a lot of like whacked out, like hilarious, hilarious, meaningless stuff too. So I don't, I don't know. And like, also too, people die. We all die. So, hmm. you know, there's that big thing about like, oh, are, do magicians die poorly or not? And it's like, I don't know. I mean, people who don't do magic have shitty lives too. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Cause I was going to ask you like, how far does a pattern go and, and what's the line that separates a, a pattern from real and delusion. But I think you kind of already are answering that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I also, too, I'm not doing statistics. And like, mm -hmm. also, too, if you're doing statistics, like, how big does your sample have to be? Yeah. Like, what are we talking? I don't even know how you, it seems to me a lot easier to get an idea in your head and then look for the pattern than it is to like, actually discern a genuine pattern. Mm. I, I don't know. But also, too, the, the crazy thing is, I think, um, phenomena takes the shape of your mind. Like, so, you know, spiritualists get different type of phenomena than people who are going out to look for UFOs than ghost bus ghost hunters do. Like, I, I think right. there's, um, it's always going to mirror, like, something about the your sensory system that is perceiving it, because it's an always an overlap of subjective and objective reality, because that's the only way, like, you can ever discern it. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Like that's great. I have a hard time going against thousands of years of taboo, though. But that's just me. Like I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I sometimes I I'm like, oh, am I too negative? I don't know. I, <laughs> spiritualists believe that like they they don't they don't work with the dark. They don't use the dark. Like the dark is not part of their process. And I think just by declaring that you you somehow stop some of that you know right like they yeah like they 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 insist they don't need protection because there's nothing to be like protected from because they're not going into any of these dark avenues they're like um huh. but they believe kind, they exist yeah yeah and like a lot of spiritualists though don't like you know stuff like people who do the uh, rescue circles where you find the low, the spirits who can't get back to the light and you're helping them. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of spiritual, just like spiritual. So just like, Oh, I don't want to deal with that energy. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not, do Oh, she's a rescue circle person. Like, <laughs> but so I do some, I do think some people are called to that work. Like that's the thing. Like, you know, people who have never been around such such situations can think oh it's all made up but then you meet somebody who has an authentic practice who lives in the world at like functions normally and also has this thing going on you know that they and they have this practice where they work this way it's like hard to hard to discount sometimes you know mm. even as whacked yeah. out as it sounds i don't know yeah um, um... I, yeah, I, when I was, like, uh, younger, I, I would go to this, like, witch shop in town, 
and there was just like these two older women heavy smokers like these like very like you know they're characters and they would give me once in a while like these readings I would get like a tarot reading or sometimes I'd walk in and they'd just like say like oh like you have like such and such like attached to you uh have been watched it was very frightening but you know like um so there's yeah this like but they seem to otherwise just like be like normal sort of people it's, it's so interesting yeah people can sort of function on these several levels at once like running a business kind of and then like also yeah yeah, yeah. yeah there was a diagnosis almost yeah there was a study at i think it was yale um some people some mediums in Lilydale were part of it they were using saliva to test something about how mediums are different from schizophrenics because I don't know what they were doing with the saliva I'm sorry I don't understand enough about like the study but basically because both hear voices in their heads and like a medium will say you learn to turn it off. You learn to say, get out of here. I'm not ready for like, I don't need you right now. Get out. Or, you know, and they can live a normal life and it can actually add positivity and healing, or they can help people with this voice. And then schizophrenics, like they'll be, you know, doing self-harm or, or, you know, can't, can't have any peace or can't function because of these voices. So how do we, um, how do we quantify that? Like, how do we, how do we, you know, you can't put everybody who hears a voice in their head into the same box, you know? Sure. Like, and then, Socrates, Socrates had a voice in his head too. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it's, I mean, and what if it's like a real voice then too? <laughs> like, I, I mean, yeah. Uh, well, the difference between a hallucination and a channeling or something like how, yeah. How can you possibly make a clean cut between those two? I think that like the common the common way is just like can you function in life or not like hmm. you know or like can you yeah yeah like can you can you take care of yourself can you can you live you know but yeah um you know I don't know I try hard to uh you know I don't know the more I learn the more like I'm like I don't know anything <laughs> Like, yeah. I, like <laughs> I'm actually very wary of the people who have it all figured out and they're like, yeah, of course. It's like, <laughs> like, yeah, that's how I feel. I feel the, that's why the immaterial doctrine stuff is so it, it appeals to me because like the, the world seems like a phenomenon and it just takes all these different shapes, um, which is kind of crazy about the time that uh, spiritualism comes into the world too is like this this world shift and there's the enlightenment but then there's also like theosophy and the just strange things like the gnostic texts like re-emerging after you know a couple uh millennia is is around the corner in the 20th century yeah as well. there's a yeah the communist like 1848 it's like the communist manifesto hmm. and like um oh god i forget all the stuff that happened but i well i'm also really hung up on like how like the Erie Canal was built right before all those religions exploded. And it's like (laughs) that, like connected the whole country to the rest of the world. And that like the first super highway 
And that's when capitalism explodes. Like, I mean, there's something mm. about like ripping the land and putting the water in and then like everything being connected that like made this, like these psyches shift. That's, I'm kind of obsessed with that idea. Mm, yeah. Wow. That's yeah. I hadn't thought of that at all. That's like uh, releasing some sort of like earth power. Yes. Or yes. And also another thing I get tripped out about is a lot of, you know, and this is just me like having a thought experiment. I don't, I'm not like saying it is or it isn't, but a lot of spiritualists were um, claiming to have Native American spirit guides. But mm -hmm. like uh, around that time, the Native Americans were actually doing the ghost dance, trying to raise all their dead. Like they were literally doing the those ghost dance ceremonies. Like that was, part, they were trying to raise the dead to save, help save them from the extinction. So it's like, it's kind of weird that like, you know, they were trying to do it. And then it's like appearing in this, in the, in the white culture, like, mm. you know, oh. I think there's like a, like, um, yeah, you know, and it was kind of like a millennialist kind of um, like an end times cult, like the whole yeah. ghost dance thing became. And like, that's what a lot of the new American religions were too, that were popping up. So there's like this weird correspondence. Mm. like. Oh yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. It's like ironically when uh, the, the great God Pan was proclaimed dead too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, and then there's Jocelyn Godwin wrote this great book about the burned over district. And yeah. I, I forget there's like a theory, this, this, the something hand theory where um, magicians were actually invoking all this stuff to happen. I forget the whole story, but it was like it's like this theory of why as to why all huh. all of the this stuff popped up and it was like an intentional ritual working that ended up like manifesting in that way. Um yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah. I always say like it's I always say, you know, it's not a cop out when I say like honestly, the like the more I learn, the less I know mm. because there's really um it just gets infinitely complicated, I think. Yeah, that's what's yeah. so fun about it, though. Like all these new corridors <laughs> open up, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I, it's like, okay, so why even bother with this? Or like, that's what I ask all, myself all the time. Like, why am I, you know, <laughs> risking uh, my reputation? And like, yeah, like, why am I doing? Why can't I just be a normal photographer? Why am I doing <laughs> this? Like, what happened? But um I do think that all of this stuff is really deeply tied to creativity and mm. um, innovation and the forces that drive humanity forward. And um, it's also deeply tied to survival. So we're never going to cleanse it out. Like I, I think mm. uh, maybe, you know, some uh, what kind like evangelical religion will say you know you put the, this you cleanse this out and you put it in a box and you keep it out and it's like you know but then you're not going to get any cheese mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know like it's like there's something i think it's like i actually think the parent paranormal power is like really deeply tied to like like uh sex like the the same kind of energy power mm. like that like that works in the world like the procreative power you know yeah, not yeah. necessarily like and i guess you know that's like a magic thing right mm -hmm. like 
Absolutely, you know? yeah. yeah, they're obsessed with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I know enough to know, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not that well versed in it, but uh, it just seems to me like it's all part, it's all part of like bringing forth the new, mm. whether right. that is like, so it's like shares a bedrock or something. Mm. Yeah. Um, do you, this is maybe a shift, but do you like, I was looking through the introduction or one of the introductions to your book and there's a lot of discussion about like, uh, spiritualist art. So like, um, the automatic writing, but also the automatic mm -hmm. drawings, um, which is something I'm really, uh, interested in. Do you think of yourself as a, as a spiritualist artist? Um, I mean, yeah, well, it's hard because like a lot of people will call me like, um, I guess I don't fit anywhere. And that's part of I guess it's like it's part of my problem. But like, I guess it's like a it's like an okay problem because I mean, you know, it's nice to like just be kind of doing your own thing. But I don't fit like people have tried to put me in like the outsider art category. And like I went to art school. So like I don't right. really fit there. And like I actually feel like the spiritual like I wish I could unlearn a lot of what I learned like I mean it's I feel like there is a, a lot to be said of like just going on impulse and and um but I'm also not having the experience that a spirit is actually guiding me you know I mean some of some of those artists really have the absolute experience of as if their hands are being lifted and and used yeah. So um, some have spiritual inspiration, but some of those spirit artists are like being quite literal when they're um, talking about the process. But I think also, too, there's something about automation. Like I did try to give over as much power to my camera as I possibly could, mm -hmm. meaning like I tried to like break all the rules and like, you know, be a, like a just automate the process and let the process have like its glitches or like let it let the process like give the process as much leeway as possible. Mm. Yeah. I so I try to work in that way. And I don't know what that is. It, is that spirit? It, what is inspiration? I guess like that's what we're getting down to, but mm. um, I never had the, I, the experience like a spirit was telling me what to do or directing me. No, mm. but. Right. Yeah. Cause it, it seems to like walk this really interesting line of documentation, but also act like the actual thing that it's documenting comes through mm -hmm. the documentation like yeah I tried to do like um I guess there's like a lot of different types of pictures in the or a couple yeah. you know like some of them are very uh um you know so straightforward or just like recording like his like I guess a lot of exposition right like just like trying to like record the history and then like also these ones where I'm just trying to be really creative. And then there's the ones where I'm, I'm storytelling in a way that's like very journalistic or very traditional way you storytell with a camera. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. Like, I don't know. That's why it took me so long to like do the book. Cause I worked on it for like 18 years and I know that's like absurd amount of time, but like, I just, I, for a long time, I felt like that, that I would just never do anything with it and it would never be complete. And then finally I figured out how to do it, but. Yeah. The, the part of the back where you kind of narrativize it, I think is really great because 
though like the pictures are sort of narrative in their own way, it kind of adds this really interesting layer to yeah and stuff that people wouldn't know. Yeah, you know, I'm really thankful to Robert Ansel from Fulger because he demanded that I that I write that. And, you know, I look back and I read it and I like cringe, like, oh, I would have said this differently or that differently or whatever. But um, it really did. Now I consider myself a writer. Like I, I writing is part of my process now. Hmm. And it was like, Robert's like, no, it's, I need to know, like, I want to know what's going on in these pictures. Hmm. And one of my favorite parts about that is I try as much as possible. I don't know how success, successful I am, but I try to bring in as much of the funny stuff that happened, like, or the absurdity. Cause you can't show that in the picture, but like, I always, like, sometimes I say like, Oh, I'm just in it for the comedy because like, there is so much good comedy that comes out of these like hyper absurd situations and so like I mean one day I would love to like write a paranormal comedy or like you know <laughs> do, like do like a paranormal memoir memoir that's like funny but um there yeah like that and I actually think the the comedy is a good sign like it shows like like the height there's just like a a brand of humor that comes with this stuff that like you can't get anywhere else like I mean when you, you know you see two older women like fight over like the spirit guide that showed up like on somebody's like sweater like and they're like no it's mine no that's my grandmother she's wearing glasses it's oh like no <laughs> that's awesome so yeah, that's great that's what ghostbuster get ghostbusters gets right like mm. ghostbusters actually gets a lot right mm. but um i think you know seeing the 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 absolute unique absurdist humor that can come with this stuff like it's like so spot on yeah yeah that's great um it's like a, a weirdly informed film i think the building in ghostbusters is supposed to be yeah a reference to the master building have you heard that like nicholas rorick who's kind of from that same era as well early 20th century yeah no um so I, I know that because I had, there's an architect that um, has spoken at my symposium and I asked him to do like a history of spirit architecture. And he, he cited that there's like a big moment where he talks about that building, but um, yeah, Dan Eckward like fully knows the history. His, like his whole family, like Ghostbusters is loosely based on his like great grandfather's like seance diaries. Hmm. And um, his father wrote this great book called the history of ghosts and like he like there's little jokes or little asides or little details in there that it's it's very much it's it's super well researched mm. like it's very um you know like for example like you know when they're the, one of the opening scenes where bill murray is giving the esp test and he's like messing with the guy's emotions like you know they they do that in esp test like they they tr mm. they try to play with emotion to see if like it affects the esp like mm you know small things like that like mm. are very spot on like it's it, but he makes it funny too so yeah yeah i haven't seen that in forever i need to rewatch that now with yeah. that in mind for sure i mean um that like that yeah so you talk in the book which also happens in ghostbusters of course about like ectoplasm and that's like a big part of that uh what what is that what's ectoplasm <laughs> Um, so I get it's ectoplasm is a substance that is supposed to merge the realm between life and death, right? So it's like, 
in spiritualism, it's a substance that emerge, it gets built from the medium's body and sometimes taken from the sitters in the room. And it's like, um, constructs and takes form and then it comes to life and it a lot you know like a lot of times they'll see hands or you know full materialization would be like the ultimate manifestation in ectoplasm and um you know it's like it's the this idea like a substance that's supposed to bridge the worlds and yeah when i started uh, photographing in Lilydale, there were no like ectoplasm seances. Like that stuff was long gone because spiritualism pretty much abandoned that because a lot of people were faking them like for tourists and things. And they just started doing, you know, what you see on like the Long Island medium, which mm. is just, you know, people having a conversation in a room with the lights on. And like, there's, unless you're listening, if you turned off the sound, you wouldn't know anything was not spooky at all is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, but um, but that but all the mediums that I was meeting believed that it was a reality and it was a thing and that, you know, depending on the spiritualists, oh, the photos are fake, but ectoplasm is real or like some of the spirit photos are real. Some of them are fake, but ectoplasm is real. But like they believed in this possibility. So that kind of like became kind of drives the narrative of the book that, uh, you know, I go around the world looking for ectoplasm mm. And, you know, finally, like, have that experience. But it took a really long time. <laughs> it's hard to find ectoplasm. <laughs> yeah, I can <Yeah>. imagine. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess um, I definitely wanted to talk a little bit about some of the technical processes of, of um, creating these photos and stuff, too. Um, do you Did you shoot mostly on digital or you use film as well? I mean, it's been, I'm sure, mm. a mix of both over the course of 18 years. Yeah, I started with film and then I switched to digital when I, so I, the first half of the project, uh, which is like probably like the first two chapters of the book or it's all film. And then when I started back again, after my four year, five year break, I started digital and, you know, I, I actually like shooting digital because you, you can the digital file, you get like a more dynamic range. Like I can go into the shadows and into the highlights um, mm. in ways that I can't with, you know, a negative, um, um, you know, there's more of a dynamic range because you can only develop for highlights or develop for um, shadows if you're pushing or pulling your film. Mm. And uh, also I can sit in a seat in a seance for three hours and not have to like reload film in the dark or, you know, like I'm not limited in that way. I also can peek because a lot of these are like situations like the lighting is just the biggest nightmare ever. So the, it's just e technically more practical. Mm -hmm. um, plus a lot of like the red and black pictures when I was shooting that on film, I could, there would be detail I could see on the negative with my eye, but I could never get, printed in a color dark room because the you know printing red light on photo paper it's like you it just prints red you can't get any detail so until I actually did digital scans of the film I couldn't even make those pictures look the way that I you know couldn't get all the information out of the negative so you know just because of the technical issues I I like digital better but mm. 
And I, I remember seeing this one photo where it's um, two mediums uh, appear to be using like an old radio for some kind of experiment. Yeah. And I was wondering um, if a lot of your work occurred in tandem with other people documenting on different forms of media and if there was ever any kind of um, things, that, events that synced up in the documentation or anything. Oh, yeah. Well, early on when I first started, I would be the only one with a camera. So it was like a lot, it was a much bigger deal for me to be there early on than it is now because now everybody has their cell phones and everybody's doing spirit photography in the seance and everybody, you know. Mm. Um, and I do have some friends I have played around with, but I haven't done any like testing where like we'll, we'll all go to the same scene and take pictures and then compare. Like I've never had any any like cross correspondence in that way. Um, but I do have friends that like we all take gear out and like play around and um, see what happens. But I haven't done any like testing, like corresponding testing. Yeah, I was. I guess I was just curious if any like EVPs ever uh, corresponded or anything like that. Maybe it would be super yeah, interesting I, to have like that different range. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like my, I have a friend Donna who's like an EVP person, and um, she's had stuff like that happen, but. I don't know. Usually I'm not, I haven't, I haven't extensively done. That's kind of like an idea for, um, I'm hoping to do, I kind of have this idea that my next book will be the second book in like a trilogy. And so I kind of have like a sequel to seance already outlined. And hmm. so in that there would be more, um, like more stuff like that where I was like really trying to test the like take it as far as I could go because I feel like I just kind of scratched the surface with it in the first book mm. um so but then it's like also like I don't know I have this idea of like doing a psychic quest like part part of a psychic quest but then you know I don't know um how far I want to go with it. Like I have this idea, like try to take it as far as you can, but like, do I really want to do it? I don't know. I mean, uh, but I, there's still like a lot of, I'm really interested in saving the lost histories. And so I do know of now that I've been working so hard, I do know a lot of um, visual history that has never been seen or that's out there that I'm trying to like, there's a few things I'm really trying to say hard to save. Um, so that would be an element yeah. of it. Mm. That's, That's great. Awesome. I need yeah. to, uh, I did this book of art by a psychic artist. I need, I'll have to, I'll send you a copy of it. It's yeah. Uh, archiving this kind of stuff is important for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And everybody thinks it's garbage and they're just tons yeah. of it is being thrown away. And the, like, for example, there was this like amazing, she was a transfiguration medium and she was very famous in England. And, um, she only was photographed once and the pictures are amazing, but she thought like she was mad because she felt like the pictures were hers and the photographer said, well, they're my pictures. And they mm. had this fight and then she never allowed herself to be photographed again. And I would like write her like, can I please photograph you? And she'd be like, no, you can't. And then she died. And the, so there's only these pictures exist. And then, um supposedly her daughter throughout the archive wow Ugh. so yeah i now i'm trying to find this photographer guy and like i have his name but i can't 
like I've got to like go, you know, on this like trek to try to find him. But yeah. I do think they're really important pictures. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've been there, and it's it's impossible to track people down in that. I know, of... and like it's so easy um, for this just to get like, oh, this is junk. Just throw it away. Like so much yeah. of it's already been lost. Mm. You know, and like, look at like the Hilma off Clint thing, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, That's, must be like a multi-million dollar kind of brand almost now. And Right. And like, she, I mean, nobody saw that for like 80 years. Like, uh, yeah, it was, it's crazy. Uh, and, you know, photography too. It's just now that, you know, photography has been accepted in the art world. It's done its dance with painting. It's been, you know, it's been received and so it's just now that people are willing to like look back and say, oh, like re like relook at the history with the de with the wider definition of what art photography is. Hmm. And so yeah, you know, that's just happening now. I mean, I think the uh the American Folk Art Museum, they just did like declared a new genre photo brute, like, you know, hmm. like art brute, you know. And it's like, how do you discern photo brute? Because like photography is naturally natu naturally democratic and yeah. there's a lot of vernacular but like photo brute would be visionary photography or photography that you know serves this other purpose that does not serve the art world or was never intended for an art world hmm. right in the like uh ephemera collection kind of uh culture photography is like massive right now um, yeah yeah everyone is looking for old photos that have some sort of quality yeah. to them <laughs> yeah like and also because i think photography is so much about time so yeah. that the 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 older they get the more magic they have or like the more power they have or the you know um there's just something about like the longer you let something like age it's almost like again like cheese <laughs> or like wine yeah, yeah. or yeah. something like that yeah um one of my favorite photos in here is the Loch Ness one. What was the story behind that? Well, so um, that picture, I was on my honeymoon and we were like, we were in Scotland and Loch Ness, have you ever been there? No. Um, so they, there's actually the, a really, really great, interesting museum about the Loch Ness monster. And like, so that was in 2013. 2012 when I when I did that picture so I had been working uh partially on that trip with some I, I was doing something for the book and we were doing like water scratch like people were doing like a lot of water experiments that I was photographing and so then like on our on our part of our honeymoon we were at this like uh we went to Loch Ness and I was just looking at the water and I was like thinking about like oh, this dark water and how many people have projected their thoughts onto this water trying to see this being. And I was just thinking about like energy and like, I, I think a lot about observation and like the mind, like creating reality or like projecting onto reality. And so like, I was thinking that and I was like, I'm going to try to do this, like, try to do an experiment to see if I can get a Loch Ness. And I did, you mm -hmm. know, but like, it's like a function of like, you know, it's like, I think I was like, I just like ran towards it and there was a boat in the, the lake, but it like, you know, it worked. That's so awesome. Uh, yeah. So, like a Loch Ness of light 
Monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of like, can can I conjure Loch Ness? Like, like, and I I did like with my you know I tried I intended and I did. Hmm. So that so that was the idea behind it was kind of like, um, because I do think in all photography like somehow your consciousness is embedded in it like that's like what's the photographer's eye you know because. And you know it because if it's a good photographer, they have like a style and it's it's not it's not about like the kind of film they use in the camera. It's the way that they use their eye, you know. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Do you have like a major influence in terms of photography? Uh, yeah, I mean, like my touchstone is Deanna Arbus. Like she's the reason mm. I became a photographer. Um, really like I saw her pictures and I realized like oh like I felt like I could I felt like her mind was somehow telling me something in this picture and that's like the first time I ever thought of like a picture that way whereas like she was trying like she was able to tell me something that was in her head without words like using like by projecting it onto reality or like I just like I felt like it was very like her work was very telepathic mm. yeah and um but I like I love all the like old you, you know documentary the street photography like lead lee freelander is one of my like all-time favorites like there's a new book the cohen brothers guy one of the cohen brothers just edited a book of lee freelander pictures and they're so trippy they're completely psychedelic like oh. it's such a great book it's it's literally like he's transforming you know he's just flattening 3d into 2d but like you know, planes are coming out of cars are coming out of heads are coming out of like, you know, it's, it's really, really, really like a, a transformation of the world, like transformation of time and space. Mm. Um, So I like, I like a total photo geek. I love, love, love photography. But that, you know, that's what like my book, I really wish I could, could have been a photographer like Arbus who like, she didn't need words, you know, you just got her pictures. Although I always admired about her that she's so articulate when she did talk about her work, but you didn't mm. need it to understand it. Like mm. my, my work is like, I just, I wish I could be a photographer who needed no words, but I guess I'm just not, but. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, yeah. you, know, you can look at the photos and yeah. Yeah. But I think the context like is a, just so interesting that people right. want to peel it back even more probably. Yeah. Like I felt like I was building on a history that like, I felt like I was building on a visual history that nobody knew about. And so like I was already at XYZ and nobody knew ABC. And so I was right. constantly trying to have to explain, well, there's this thing called spiritualism and they do this thing called a seance and there's this thing called this. And like, it just got so exhausting. So, yeah. So that's like, it needs the frame, I think. Like, I mean, but it, it can live as it is, but like, it's so much better with the frame, I think. Like mm. the, the the historical presence. Right. Yeah, I mean the introductions are great. All the like archival stuff in there is yeah. like the photo of the sisters is incredible. Hmm. Like um Yeah, yeah. Like I, I just feel like it's so rich. Like, why not um tell everybody about that? Like it's like hmm. like I like a the lost visual history. And you know, I was lucky because when I started this project, no like I 
I learned about like him off Clint and I learned about spirit photography from the spiritualists first. Right. So I knew there was a, like this stuff, I knew there was a thing called spirit art and I understood like, but nobody was like interested. Like it was nowhere. I, at that time you would go to like the new museum and they'd have some art that I knew was spirit art, but it was totally cleansed of its context. It was presented as if it was abstract art or, you know, um nobody like the helm off clint she was only in that one show in the 80s and had never been in a show again like in 2001 like it was like nobody was looking at this like or interested at all right what that was like was it like 10 years ago when she kind of like was revived yeah i don't know what the impetus was like the guggenheim show her retrospective in the guggenheim opened in 2018 yeah. And like even then what was wild is cuz she she did have like a vision of like these are paintings for the temple and she envisioned this spiral temple and like mm. they her retrospective was at the Guggenheim in this yeah. spiral and so they didn't shy away from any of her she also left a text a religious she was very clear like this was re- religious work it was like most of it she had two different techniques like but for most like the first part was she said she was actually physically manhandled to make it and then mm-hmm. the second one was like through her mind inspiration painting but um even at the opening um i went to the opening conference and one of the one of the contributing artists got on stage and was like i don't know why we have to like humor this like spirit bullshit Really? Because, like, because she was like a, a mathematician and she was a smart woman and she was a good painter. So like, why do we even have to go there? And then her family was in the audience and they came up and they were like, you have to go there because she left a text that said that's what it was. And then the one of the art historians was like, well, you have to go there because I don't have the luxury of making up history. Like, hmm. You, you know like I'm a historian and this is like what was left so you know even right. a lot of people who are fans of her work and I think the person who was saying why do we have to deal with the spirit stuff is like one of the people who was involved in the very first exhibition that brought her back so she was just going on the visuals mm. so I don't know I mean it's still right it's it's a weird full circle yeah and that and with that even that region of new york like that's embedded in the fabric of of new york you know is is that era of spiritualism and esoterica and and theosophy and roar it's all there you know it's it's really crazy i yeah i don't know i mean um even now it's like you know my work has this all of this stuff has like this attraction repulsion thing so people are either like repulsed by it or attracted by it or or both at the same time Hmm. so um you know it's it's for a lot of people it's uncomfortable like a lot of people like hate my work you know or like yeah (laughs) or they're just like "Eh," like "Eh," you know like oh okay like i mean i just like recently had a meeting at a museum where the woman was like oh uh." (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. So I mean, but I guess like I'll t- I guess that's good, right? Like at least it's like a reaction, but I don't know. Sure. I mean, yeah. It's not. Um. So for some people, it's like too real, you know. Like mm-hmm. a lot of these topics flourish in fiction and um, fantasy and you know where it can be like safely put in about like this is not real and i'm like definitely trying to cross that and say is it real are you sure it's not real like i i you know yeah what uh, are like what is the reality of it but yeah 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 what is real yeah yeah yeah, yeah. was there anything in the course of making this book hanging out with all these people was any of it ever like genuinely frightening um, so for the most part, this is why I stick to spiritualism because I have tried a lot of other stuff. Um, the vibe is very much, even if it like looks dramatically spooky, the vibe is very much grandmother, grandmotherly, like healing, like love yeah. vibe, like almost like, like a womb, like, like we're here to just, um, like feel our feel our loved ones or something right even even the even the weirder situations feel like that but there's this one one story i tell in the book where there's this medium i worked with quite a bit and i love her she's a really unique person her name is sylvia howarth and she does like a lot of like the art stuff in the book and she said i was at her house and she was going to do a séance and she said well you know, I never sit in the dark, dark, like I never sit in the black dark. Uh, If I ever if I do the next day, something weird always happens in the kitchen. Hmm. And I was like, Oh, and she's like, but tonight I'm going to sit in the dark. And so she turned off all the lights and we were in the pitch dark. And um, as soon as she did, I heard you know, we heard sounds all the way like in in the pipes in the house. And like, I heard this drum play and I don't know if somebody, it it sounded like a drum was playing and like, you know, and then she did the seance and like, you know, she did some trance talking and I don't know what much else happened. But then the next day I was in the kitchen and I went to go get, like, make myself a glass or like a a cup, cup of tea. And I touched her cupboard, which was like a ceramic a ceramic knob and it exploded in my hand and it cut mm. my finger open and it just went like, it just like, like as soon as I touched it, just like exploded and like half of it shot up into the, into the ceiling and then crashed. And I looked and I was like bleeding. And then her husband came over and is like, and I like was like, Oh my God. And he's like, what just happened? And he like, Oh my God. And like his hand, got cut too and we just looked at each other and like looking our bloody hand and like what just happened Mm. and it was like it was like a solid ceramic like knob and um I still have the scar so I have like a scar from it so like I mean but she you know and I told and she's like yeah something always weird always happens in the kitchen after I do that I don't know what it is that's amazing it's a great scar to have though But I mean, that was like, that was scary. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it was like unexpected. Yeah. I always find with like, of all those sort of paranormal things that have happened to me, most of them are sort of synchronicities. uh, Yeah. And 
even if they're positive in the end, I always find the experience itself is frightening because of the, it feels like something's really happening. And that well, is almost like invigorating, but frightening. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And um, when they happen and then you start noticing them, I've had like a series where they just, the, the more you notice them and the more you go with it, the more intense they become. Yeah. And the, the it's, then you just have to like, turn it off. Like, um, I had that with too with this book that I this new book that I've been doing and it's like it gets really spooky mm. after a while I think you know yeah like the synchronous like the more you kind of like it's like something you feed or like something that like the the more you let it in the more it appears and yeah it's yeah it's like but, the, well, the egregore right like the more yeah uh, I don't know thought power that you're putting into it the more it grows yeah yeah and so um I had one yeah like series where I had I've had another one with this new book and it's it's, it's really unsettling I don't know what to I don't know what to make of it I mean what do you do I don't know or I how just, do you know when it's over even <laughs> yeah yeah I guess you kind of know. I kind of just and then like when yeah. people are like, "Oh, it's just a synchronicity." It's like, "Yeah, well, is it? Like, what's that? Like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, totally. it's hard to explain them too. Like, they they can be so personally intense and uh, yeah. Uh, what is the new uh, thing you're working on? You said it was more of a sort of an archival project. Yeah, it's like um a seance group from Missouri, right. and they were together for fifty years and. Um, I was working with the sociologist who studied them and I became friends with one of the last living members. And then, uh, I, I had like, I acquired the whole archive and then shortly before she died. Mm -hmm. And so now I, I had to, I wrote a history of the group. Um, so it's like my first, like the biggest thing I've ever written, you know, I've never written in that way where I'm like telling like this, it's not mm -hmm. that long. Um, but it's like a novella I wrote about them and, uh, oh. then I'm editing the pictures and then it, it'll, I think the format will kind of probably be like seance where, I mean, they have thousands and like thousands of pictures of like levitating tables and all kinds of wild stuff. And, um, so it'll be like illustrated text and then just pictures and then hopefully an index at the end. Yeah. yeah, so you said this was Sorat? Yeah, S-O-R-R-A-T. Yeah. It rings a bell. I have a book about them somewhere. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I don't know. It might be the Jim McLennan book, The Entity Letters, or if you have the blue Sorat book, there's like a blue yeah. book. Oh, that's the one. Hang wow. on to that. That's I. That's John. If It's the one I'm thinking of. It's John Thomas Richards' book. Um it's hard to find now, uh, but I have John Thomas Richards archive. Awesome. Do you know what it's called? The, um, <laughs> it's called Sorat. The, if you Google John Thomas Richards, Sorat. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's hard to find now. I've got, I got like, I think like a few hundred bucks now. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah I'll never find it this you know during this interview but uh, uh but yeah. you think you have it at the store maybe yeah I'm not sure if it's that one it is about Sora and it is blue but it's a paperback 
Anyway, it's a paperback. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's called it, like side side physics side yeah. physics. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that's um, that was ghost written by John Thomas Richards, uh, oh. but it's by William Edward Cox, who was like the parapsychologist who studied the group. Yes. Hmm. Side yeah. physics. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bizarre yeah. book. I like that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's getting rare too. Like I used to be able yeah. to find that um cheaper. Yeah, um, I love books. <laughs> um Yeah. Do you have any um like events or anything coming up? Yes. So uh I so my book is traveling as like a solo exhibition and it's gonna open it's gonna open in Albany. Uh on Halloween and it'll be in Albany at this women's college called it'll be like at Opelka gallery. It's on my website. Um, it opens October 31st and it's up through December 4th or 9th, I think. Um, and I'm going to do an event there on November 3rd and 4th. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. Um, oh. So if anybody's near Albany, yeah, I wonder if we have people. I think we have some listeners up that way, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I hope, I hope some people will check it out. Yeah. I definitely. wish I could get up there. Yeah. It. Um. So it's yeah. It's like so. It's like a probably half of the book. So it's like forty-seven huh. pictures, um, and text, and yeah. Like I, I'm gonna. I get to do a talk with Anne Brody, who is like one of the first scholars who like re looked at um the women's rights movement and spiritualism. She wrote a book called radical spirits. It's a really good book. Um, oh yeah. She, I, I've read a uh, Gary Lockman's politics and the occults mm. is where I've read anything about those connections. Like, yeah. Uh, that, that whole yeah. connection between the radical movements and, and spiritualism. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, so and that's going to be up for yeah. Let me go, go to about a month. It sounds like yeah. Yeah. Um, I it, I know the gallery is called Opalka Gallery. Let me just. Uh, We're gonna have to make our exodus to Lilydale next summer. Yeah. Oh yeah. End of July. July twenty fifth through twenty seventh. Um. So yeah, Russell Sage College um in albany and yeah the sh the exhibition is up until december 9th okay so, awesome um, yeah that's great that's something i would love to see yeah absolutely um, cool so uh let's see what do you think dave do you have any final questions no i i, I... that was an amazing interview though thank you so much for coming on so much in there yeah, that's and, awesome yeah your, your work you. is really amazing, really important. So we're, we're really excited to have talked to you about it. Thank you. And then yeah. um, if anybody wants to know about Lilydale, uh, I have um, a mailing list on my website oh, yeah. uh, where, I, you know, I don't do them. I just do my announcements out and uh, everything is like anything that I'm working on is at my site. Uh, and that's just shannontaggart.com. Yeah. Great. Yeah, we'll Perfect. send people that way. Um, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, all right, have a good night. All right, you thanks too. again. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.
That was great. Recording stopped. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Should we do a little afterward here for a couple minutes? Yeah. Uh, do you want me to keep recording? No, I think we're probably fine on the on the Zoom here. But... Cool. Yeah. That's great. So yeah. Really cool. Interesting stuff. I mean, I was so amazed that like I, I kind of figured that we got we got to like you know an On patreon.com slash consensus on reality you will find bonus episodes, written content and much more. This recording contains an exclusive follow-up and bonus episode only on Patreon.